Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Amen. How many love you some Jesus today? Amen. I'm going to invite Maddie Donaldson. You guys can come on up. Uh, uh, ushers, you guys can come on up as well. You guys can start passing as well. Um, man, I'm, I'm excited to invite Maddie up here. Um, we, we want you to know that um, whenever God stirs our hearts to go on mission or whenever God stirs our hearts to serve the community, we love to hear testimonies of what God is doing in that. And so uh, Maddie's a college student, and the Lord absolutely has an awesome work that he's been doing in her heart. And so she came and asked if she could share this. And so I just want you to um, and listen to her heart and let it stir your heart's affections for what God is doing. So you guys welcome Maddie. Can you guys do that? Good morning. Uh, My name is Maddie. I am a student at Friends U. Um, And about a month ago, I was able to go on a trip with some of my fellow Friends U students um, to Wolf Point, Montana, which is one of the five towns on an Indian reservation, a Fort Peck Indian reservation. Um, And we didn't really go on a service project. We didn't necessarily build anything, but it was more of a relation-based ministry trip. Um, So... I just wanted to share with you guys what I witnessed in Montana on this tiny Indian reservation. Um, So Wolf Point, along with the entire reservation, is immune to shame and trauma and addiction. Um, And just what I learned by hanging out with second graders, what we did, we were in elementary school all week, and we kind of acted as paraeducators, but I just learned a lot from these second graders. Um, I learned that traumatic events are so common um, on this reservation that they don't really understand that they're traumatic. Um, It's just normal. It is normal for like one or more, or one if not both parents to um, be in prison or to be dead or um, just be so far gone on drugs that their kids just aren't really accounted for. I learned that 90% of the kids who just finished kindergarten this year um, were born meth babies. And so they just like don't function in school very well and they don't do really anything very well. Um, and a big reason I wanted to like come up here and talk to you guys, um, we got back on a Saturday and I came here Sunday, sat in church. I sat behind a family um, and they had this little girl and she was beautiful and In the midst of, I think, 15 minutes, this little girl was just held and intentionally loved and intentionally cared for. Um, And these kids, they just, they don't get that in their, like, entire lives. And this little girl was held by three different people and cared for in, like, 15 minutes. Um, But I do believe that we serve a God who um, shines brightest in dark places. And there is a organization that we worked with. It's called Takun Alum, which means repair our world in Hebrew. Um, and their big mission is to repair this tiny corner of our world in northeast Montana. Um, they're really targeting the kids, and they're just trying to show compassion. What they do is they recruit uh, kingdom people, whether they have teaching degrees or not, to come work in the elementary school. Um, and they re- provide housing for them, and they also, um, they try to, like, plug them into the community so kids have something to go to outside of a classroom. Um, so, yeah, their mission is just to repair, and this community, it doesn't need resources. It doesn't need, like, money or funds or food. Um, 
It doesn't need foster care systems to take kids off the reservation. It just needs people. Um, and I found myself going and feeling, leaving and just being aware and feeling very responsible for the pain and the darkness that is just overflowing in this culture. Um, and I think as a body of believers, we are called to take responsibility for all of the pain and all of the darkness and all of the places that just really need Jesus. Um, so like I said, they just need people. And I think even if we can't all pack our bags and move to Wolf Point, Montana, um, as a body of Christ, we can be in Wichita, Kansas, and just pray and be aware that these people are here. And they're, I mean, they're 17 hours away, but they're not across the world. They're close to home. And they need people, and they need love. They need compassion, and they need the joy of Christ to break into their communities. So if you guys could just remember Takoon alum, Repair Our World, it's, they're doing really awesome things, um, but they still need love. They still need support. They still need faith. And so, yeah, thanks. We're going we're gonna to take a minute. We're going to pray over Maddie, but I want to share something with you. She came about a month ago, and she said, um, I just got back from this mission trip with some of my college friends from, from our, our college, and she said, this is totally outside of my comfort zone. I hate getting up in front of people, but she said, my heart is so stirred. Can I share? And I'm like, absolutely. Listen, church, I want you to hear something on this. And I asked her this in first service. I said, did you have to jump on a plane to go to Montana? She said, no, I drove. That's for some of us in this room, Amen that do not want to fly. That's for some of us. Listen, listen we, we do not get to hide out in church buildings as the people of God. We don't get to hide out in church buildings. We are called outside of these walls. The whole reason we come here is to hear testimonies of what God is doing outside of these walls and to become a part of that. This is what we want to do. But did you hear what she said? Her heart was stirred and she became, everybody say, responsible. She became responsible for these people. She felt like they were her responsibility. I love that because it takes more than just saying, you know, I'm just going to throw some resources. You know, I'm just going to throw some resources. Look, I know that we're good at that too, and we need to continue to do that. We need to send people out on the mission field. We need to support missions around the world. But she said something stirred in her heart where she became responsible for these people. I would love it if as a people of God, we became responsible for what's happening outside of these walls. That our hearts were so stirred for that. And even more so, look, it doesn't matter. If you're waiting for Reliance to, to get a mission trip planned that you feel comfortable to go on, you're going to wait on for that forever, okay? Find things that are happening. In Wichita, there are places you can plug in. As she said, maybe you'll pack your bags and go to Montana. We can all do that, right? We should all be able to do that. Montana's beautiful. Um, we should all do that. But maybe yours is getting on a plane and going overseas. Whatever it is, maybe yours is just going across the street to the neighbor who's struggling with their kids. Be that person who says, I feel responsible because I have the hope of Jesus inside of me. Amen? I want to pray over Maddie, and I want to pray over Reliance. I want to pray that the thing that stirred in her heart would stir in our hearts in this place. So if you guys feel comfortable, just extend a hand out. Let's pray over her. Father, we are so grateful for your men and your women, God, that you have put in this house. And we are so grateful, God, that you stirred a heart like Maddie's heart where she's seeing, Lord, that you're moving outside of Sunday mornings, that she's seeing that you're moving outside of Wednesday nights, God, but you're moving all across the world right now, Father, and there are people who desperately need people, not just resources, not just will you send me a note from time to time, but they need people that are going to come and love on them, Father. 
And so God, I pray that Reliance would be more than just a place to come, but we'd be a place where we send out. God, we want to be a sending place. And so Jesus, would you stir our heart's affections where, Lord, we believe that your word says that we're a city on a hill. We believe that your word says that we shine like stars in this universe. And so, God, I'm praying that somebody in this room right now, God, their heart is being stirred by the seeds that Maddie planted today. And, Lord, I pray that somebody would come along and continue to water those seeds and water those seeds until they flourish into something beautiful. Lord, we want to not just be people who talk about missions, but we want to do it locally, globally, anywhere you want, across the street, anywhere you want us to go. So thank you for Maddie's heart. Continue to move in her heart. We pray for the people in Montana, their father. That Jesus, they would see you as the God of the universe who comes in and gives them hope when the world does not offer hope. In Jesus' name we pray these things and all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. One more hand for her if you would. All right, Pastor Ryan's got a word for us today. All right, good morning. Thanks, Maddie, for sharing that. That's awesome. Um, I love how the Lord just uh, births things. And when we go in mission, it's a lot of times we think we're going to go you know, do all these things, and, and many times we, we get opportunities, but it, a lot of times we go and the Lord's saying, no, I, I'm actually speaking to you, and I want to work on your heart this, uh, during this time. And so anyway, that's awesome, Matt. Thanks for encouraging us this morning. Um, so this morning, I, I want to talk to the men in the room, the fathers in the room, just men in general, all right? And so you ladies are thinking, well, do I, do I need to check out for 30 minutes? What can I do for the next 30 minutes? You get your grocery list, whatever, whatever you do. No, you can't, okay? Um, because you're a part of this as well. And so, um, but I want to say happy Father's Day. So turn to your neighbor, say happy Father's Day. You might think, well, I'm only surrounded by ladies, so that's kind of awkward. We're going to celebrate our Heavenly Father too, so it's okay. We can say happy Father's Day. Um, but fatherhood is an incredible adventure. Now, I have... I have it's kind of weird. I have six kids right now. Um, about a month ago, I, I would have said I only have four kids, but right now we have six kids in our household, so kind of fathering six kids um, at this point. And so fatherhood is, is no doubt an incredible uh, adventure. You know, there are days of great growth and there are days of great struggle. Can any men confess to that? Yeah, right on. Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. Um, there are days of, of grace. There's days of, of failings. There's days of stretching and um, there's, there's days of, you know, just funny laughter uh, because of stories that we see in our kids doing crazy things or parents, men doing crazy things, right? Let's be honest there. Um, well, here's the deal. I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid, and so um, I grew up pretty much in the front row of church um, until I was able to at least try to escape away to the balcony, which my dad could still see what was going on up there and would call us out occasionally. And, um, and so he shared a lot of stories about us as kids in church. And I will confess that the primary character in most of the stories was not me. It was actually my brother, Aaron. I mean, you're surprised, I know. Um, but Aaron actually, uh, you know, Aaron is Aaron, and he likes to do things the hard way. It's confession time. It's church, can't lie, okay? He, he nodded. Um, and so anyway, he shared a lot of stories, and now I will say that it is, it is my turn to share a few stories about my children. I'm going to really pick on, on one child in particular. He happens to be sitting in the front row, which is really beautiful. This is, this is fun for me. Um, but yeah, so fatherhood, again, it's, it's just a crazy thing. And so um, Keenan is now 13, and he is going to be in eighth grade. And when Keenan was uh, almost three years old, about that potty training age, um, he's getting ready. He kind of knows we're trying to try him on the, on the toilet and all that good stuff. And uh, anyway, it was just me and him home one day. And so I smell something. And I'm like, gosh, 
dang it, all right, kid, come on, you know? And so he's, of course, pooped his diapers, and uh, that's fun to say in front of you, right? Um, he pooped himself. I mean, it's, it's fun. <laughs> so it's just me and him. So I, I go, and I, I, I lay him down, you know? I, I get down, and I'm like, oh, this one's bad. And I make that face, and I'm like, woo! I, you know, I think I make a sound, and, and I kid you not, he looks up at me, and he says, you like that? Any three-year-old that knows sarcasm is big enough to use the toilet at that point. <laughs> so, but fast forward a few years, and um, Keenan is entering sixth grade, and he goes, and it's the fall of sixth grade year, and at, in sixth grade, you have to take um, human growth and development, is that what they call it nowadays, which when we were kids, it was just sex ed, right? Um, and so... I know that he's got to do that this week at school, and, and so he goes, and I go pick him up uh, one day from school, and knowing that he just learned about some stuff, I say, Keenan, so tell me about your class. Is there any, any questions you have? And, uh, you know, Keenan's like, well, I mean, it was okay, Dad. And I'm like, well, do, do you have any questions? He says, well, well, Dad, I do have one. I'm like, okay, so I'm praying, Holy Spirit, help me to, like, to, to answer this right, and in a way that can really, like, man, you know, push my son forward in a spiritual way and, and also you know, knowing things and, in a biblical way. And so I'm, I'm ready. I said, okay, go ahead, Keenan. He's like, ah, it's okay, Dad. It's, it's, well, I'll talk about it some other time. I said, no, go ahead. This is good. This is me and you in the car. He says, okay, Dad. Well, I learned where babies come from. I learned how, that, you know, how they kind of come to be. And he hesitates, and he says, so does that, does that mean you and Mom? <laughs> and he did not finish that question and I was like yeah and it was quiet for the remainder of the trip and my son entered adulthood at that moment so well if you have your uh, if you have your Bibles with you turn to Malachi chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 that wasn't too that wasn't too bad Keenan right no, it's not too bad. Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It'll be up on the screens as well. But, but listen to what this says. This is good stuff. It says this. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. It leads us into so much truth. It is truth. And so, Holy Spirit, we just pray that as we open the word together in community, um, Lord, that both individually and collectively, you'd speak to hearts. Um, You would just really minister to us right where we're at, whatever we're dealing with individually, but then corporately together as a church. And we just pray that you'd receive all the honor and all the glory, that you'd be worshiped on high. And, um, and Lord, that we would, uh, yeah, we would just listen and tune our hearts into what you'd want to say this morning. We love you, Jesus, and just give you all the thanks, all the glory. In your name, amen. amen. So before diving in here to, to Malachi chapter 4, I want to give you a little context because Malachi is actually the last uh, book in the Old Testament. So these are actually the last, very last words in the Old Testament. And so there would be a 400-year gap between when the, the, the Jewish people would have heard these words, and then all of a sudden when Jesus would have come on the scene, and then the New Testament would have been um, starting to be, be written. And so these would be the last words that would echo with them for 400 years, and they're probably thinking, why, 
okay, that's strange, God, of all the things you could leave us. Okay, we understand, verse 4, remember to obey the law of Moses. That was big to them. But then, okay, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. What? It's kind of strange. Now, we have the luxury of hindsight in 2019 because we know that in verse 5, it's a prophecy. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah. We know that in Luke chapter 1, and if you have your scriptures, Luke chapter 1, verse 17, this would be fulfilled in a guy named John the Baptist. And so let me read this, and you'll, you'll understand how this prophecy is fulfilled. It says this, he, John the Baptist, will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Hear that again. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So though it was not Elijah himself, John the Baptist came in kind of that power and the spirit and the mantle that Elijah had uh, for turning the hearts, to the fathers, or hearts of the fathers to the children. Excuse me. So it's interesting because apparently this is a big deal on God's heart. He concludes the Old Testament with these words, turning the hearts to, to the children and the fathers uh, to the children. And then he also sets up the New Testament. Before Jesus would get on the scene, before they even talked about Jesus a chapter later, they fulfilled this prophecy in Luke 1. So it's a big deal. It's on God's heart. And so why? That's, that's something in, in Scripture that I think it's important to say, well, why, God? And then we say, okay, Holy Spirit, what, what do you got? And so as I was preparing for this week, this, this is kind of what I, I feel, at least as I read this, why it's so prevalent on God's heart, why it's so big on his heart. Now, there's several lessons here, but I think a huge overarching message is this. God is all about relationship. Now, you've probably heard that said if you've been in church any amount of time. Well, God is all about relationship. You know, we serve a God of relationship and not religion. So many times we struggle, though, to put religion in front of relationship, don't we? Well, God, I get that we, you know, we're supposed to love you, but what, what do I have to do? And that's a lot of times where we start, make me a list of what I have to do. And so we serve God out of obligation and, and, and not like want to and like, man, I get to honor him, right? So we, we serve the regulation and we don't get to have the opportunity to have relationship. But we serve a relational God. And here's the thing. Before the world was ever created, before Adam and Eve stepped foot on the, on the earth, before God spoke it into existence, God was in perfect relationship. Isn't that crazy to think about? With the Trinity. I mean, they, they've always existed, and he was in perfect unity and relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so God wasn't like one day up in heaven with, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, like, man, we're, we're really lacking here. You guys, man, you're no fun. Like, I gotta, I gotta do something else to have some more relationship. Like, I have to. God doesn't lack anything. But because of his great love for us and his desire for relationship, he created us for relationship. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Not out of obligation, but because he wanted to. And that's just a beautiful thing about our God. He's relational. And we can see this all throughout Scripture. God is creator, we're the creation. There's a relationship there. God is father, we're the children. Jesus as the bridegroom, and we're the bride. We're seen as friends of God. Man, have you ever considered that? You're a friend of God. Christ is seen as our brother, and so on. And so relationship is big on God's heart. But that being said, guess, guess who's not about relationship? Yes, that lion snake, the devil. He hates everything about God. Now, we know that. Yeah, the devil is in opposition to God. But he hates the relational aspect of God. 
And so I think that some of the greatest tactics of the enemy are centered around disrupting, distorting, and destroying relationship. That could be relationship with God for certain. He wants that destroyed. But, but he'll also settle for, for destroying relationship with one another, correct? I mean, the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love others as yourself. Relationship, right? So he's, he's cool to take out marriages. He's cool to take out uh, children and parent relationships. He's cool to take out friends or coworkers and create animosity. Man, that, that's a win for him that day, right? He hates relationship. In fact, how does Satan, as a, serp- as a serpent, tempt Eve in the garden? He got Eve to second guess whether God was good. Now, you know what, Eve, did God really say that? You know, actually, he knows that if you take and eat of that, that it'll open your eyes and you'll be like him. Yeah, he, he actually doesn't have your best interest at heart in your relationship. He got Eve to second guess their relationship. So here, here it is for this morning with fathers. And on Father's Day, I, 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 wanna, I wanna hit this hard. I think it's on the paper in front of you too, but having a clear and true and biblical view of God as a loving, merciful, and good father is a huge part of living in real freedom and sonship as his own children. We must settle in our hearts that God has our best interests in mind before we run into temptation like Eve did and she settled for a lie. Friends, I was talking to, uh, the, to the first service, and I confessed, I have settled for so many lies. I'm just confessing that, even as a pastor. The lies will come at me, and I'm like, well, you know, maybe you're right. You know, maybe that's right. Maybe that's right. And I've settled for lies in my heart. I'm 38 years old, and for about the 30, first 35 years of my life, the majority of my life, I settled for a lie about the goodness and the nature of a Heavenly Father who loved me unconditionally. And it's crazy because I had a really good representation of an earthly father, but yet I still settled for half-truths, which are still lies. And so I didn't live in sonship, I I live in slavery to God. And he never desired that for me. So it's, it's imperative that we have a healthy view of our God as good, merciful, loving, kind, generous, compassionate. Yes, he's just as well. And that that there is discipline as well for his children that he loves. So Satan loves to distort the truth of God's fatherly nature by creating animosity, division, and distance between earthly fathers and the children. I get this. Some of you in this room are thinking, man, I don't have a very good earthly representation of a father. Or some of you men in this room are thinking like, I'm sitting beside my children and I'm not a very good representation. And man, I, I tell you this morning before we go any farther that there is grace for you and there is grace for me. And I'm thankful that while I'm still alive and while God is still active and working, that I, I get to love on my children. I get, I get a second chance sometimes. And I'm so thankful for that. A third chance, a fourth chance. So don't discount yourself in whatever you think you've done in the shame and regret, okay? But this is a big reason why I believe God desires the hearts of fathers to be turned toward their children. It's because of this, because a healthy, spirit-led, Christ-centered relationship between fathers and their kids can be one of the most compelling and transforming pictures we have of God's great love for us as his own children. You know what I'm saying? And again, don't discount yourself just because you're thinking, well, that's not me. I'm I'm inviting us up, okay? I'm inviting us to go higher with the Lord in this. Amen? 
It's also a compelling picture to the world around us. It'll speak volumes to those who don't know Jesus. So I wish we had a few more minutes to unpack this, but I want to I practically challenge uh, us this morning and encourage us as men, okay? Uh, but I do want to offer this, this challenge up front. If, if you have any doubts about the goodness of God or any doubts about his, his mercy and his, and his great love towards you, and you just haven't settled that in your heart, I, man, confess that to somebody. Confess that to the Lord. Work it out with him. I promise you he's a good daddy, and he wants to sit with you and talk about that. And then, and then walk it around with others. That's why we have community. I love community because we get to walk this out. Let's be transparent with one another and vulnerable with one another. I don't have it all figured out. You don't have it all figured out. My brother certainly doesn't have it all figured out, <laughs> right? We need each other. So we could study what it looks like to be a godly father for days, but I, I want to offer a few thoughts, okay? And you can see them on the, on the paper that, that you have in front of you. Um, take those home, think about it, man, let, let the Holy Spirit stir in your hearts. Um, but I want to offer just a few. And so uh, just to be clear, this is for all men, okay? Whether you have biological children um, or whether you want children or whether you're not able to have children, this is for all men. And, and the reason why is this, because we all can lead others to the well of living water. You know what I'm saying? Now, they have to choose to drink, but we can lead, whether it be our biological children or coworkers or, or this generation, whoever it is, to water, and so um, this, that's why it's for all men. We all lead in some capacity. So my first challenge is this. Men, fathers, we are called to speak the father's identity over our children in this generation. You are called and commissioned to speak the father's identity over your children. Let's be honest, for many of us, we've kind of subcontracted this rollout to teachers, to youth pastors, to kids pastors, to coaches, and so on. And I, I confess it as a father, not, not as a pastor, because I've done that. Well, they'll learn about it, you know, at church. Uh, Terry, you need, to, you need to tell my kid who they are. Now, I love Pastor Matt, and I love Pastor Jacob, and Pastor Tara. There's our great youth pastors and, and, and our kids pastor. Um, and I, I believe that they're sitting under awesome leadership of, of people that are encouraging them in their identity in Christ. But that does not negate my responsibility, my calling, and my mantle to speak the Father's identity with my own children. I was a youth pastor when I first started full-time vocational ministry, and it's been about 15 years ago or so, and um, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there's a lot of stories that you, <laughs> that you have from being a youth pastor, and um, a lot of stories that they probably have you about being a youth pastor, and um, some they probably shouldn't tell their parents, and so anyway, uh, but it was a good time, but it was also one of the most sobering times of my life. I didn't yet have kids when I first started. Um, Keenan wouldn't come until six months to a year later. And it was, so, it was so interesting because I was so passionate. I mean, and kids would come in and parents would drop them off. But, but after not long, I just remember having so many conversations with parents who would almost kind of point a finger in your face and says, why hasn't my kid changed? Why aren't, why aren't they lining up with the belief systems that I, I believe in the Bible? Why aren't they, why aren't they this, that, or the other? And, and for a while, I was like, man, what am I doing wrong? Like, I, I'm a terrible youth pastor. These kids aren't, I don't see the night and day difference. I mean, some of them, there's great testimonies of what the Lord was doing, but, but all the fingers were here. And I just remember thinking, man, in that moment of, of realizing the weight of parenting, realize the weight that I have, well, I'll eventually have as a father to lead my, my kids in the way of the Lord. 
in an hour and a half on a Wednesday night, I could only scratch the surface of reinforcing what these kids should primarily be learning and seeing and being taught at home. Now, I'm not pointing a finger at parents, but I'm saying, let's raise the bar for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Let's raise the bar for ourselves to Christ's standards. I love it when Jesus is baptized in the Gospels. It's such a cool, like, I mean, there's a cool picture. I want to read this for you. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 says this. One day Jesus came from the Galilean village of Nazareth and had John immerse him in the Jordan River. You remember John the Baptist we talked about in Luke chapter 1? Same John. The moment Jesus rose up out of the water, guess what? John saw something. This is so cool. John saw the heavenly realm split open. Man, that had to be a sight. John saw the heavenly realm split open and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon him, being Jesus. At the same time, listen to this. This is, man, our Father is so good to us. A voice spoke from heaven saying, you are my son, my cherished one, and my greatest delight is in you. I think somebody needs to hear that words and let them speak the Father, those words over you. It wasn't just for Jesus. When you said yes to Jesus as a son or a daughter, he's saying that over you. But man, I, I, I want to I invite you into something. If you don't speak the Father's identity over your children, the world will certainly speak something into them. They hear plenty of conflicting and distorted messages about identity. I mean, you can easily just, I mean, go to Yahoo or whatever news, and I mean, there's so just much distorted Identity crisis, it's just crazy and rampant. Speak the Father's identity of your children, of who they are in Christ. Let your kids constantly hear and know these truths. And sometimes it's, it's easy to say, well, I don't know much about the Bible. Like, I don't know, what, I don't know where to start. I'm going to give you a few things to start with, but there's also something called Google. <laughs> just type in there, like, what does God say about me? I'm telling you, there's plenty of scriptures that pop up. But let these be on your lips as you lead your children at the, at the dinner table. As you're going in the car ride from this ball game to the next baseball game to the next practice to the next activity, let these be upon your lips. Things like this. My son or daughter, you are God's masterpiece. Amen. You're not trash. You are God's masterpiece. Ephesians tells us that. You are created in the image of God. You are wanted and loved by God. You are God's chosen. You have a destiny and a purpose in the Lord. You have an inheritance in the Lord. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. These are just but a few examples. Let these be on our lips. We don't have to be biblical theologians to speak these over our children. Speak life in the Father's identity over your children. Will you commit to that today? Please. Let's see this generation go places that we've never been before. The second challenge is this. Men and fathers, we are called to lead our families in the way of Christ. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out the proverbial soapbox here for a minute, okay? So just to warn you. Church, we need to stop apologizing for the standards that Christ has set in his word. I feel like in this day and age, and I find myself doing it too, I'm like, well, that seems a little harsh. That seems a little bit overmuch, right? It's a little demanding. We're apologizing for, for, for the way that we believe in our heart or are supposed to believe in our heart that is the best intentions for, for our lives and yet we're apologizing to the world like, yeah, I'm sorry, that, uh, I, just, I don't know. If you don't like that part, it's okay, it's okay. Just do the other 99 things, but the, you know, that one, it's okay. 
or apologizing. Church, Christ has set standards for us, not to beat us down, but to lift us up. It's a beautiful thing. Now, I want to be clear with you. I have no desire to follow a list of standards because I think that'll earn somehow God's, God's favor or merit. You know, I've tried that. It's called legalism, and it, and it only leads to self-righteousness and condemnation. But here's the deal. In sonship, now that I realize that I'm a son of God, when I desire and I, and I set my course and my path and my mind and my heart and my will to follow his standards, what I find is that I, in his standards are actually the fullness of life. They're actually the best life. And also, his life is worthy of living my life for him. I want to read Romans 12, 1 through 2. I love it. This is from the Passion Translation. You may have heard it from others, but I, I really love the imagery in this. It says this, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God, God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in what? Holiness. Holiness. Live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. Man, that is so good. Experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you. This will empower you. This will give you power to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. When you and I choose to walk in holiness, and not out of obligation, but out of obedience, in view of his mercy, two things happen. One, we bring delight to God's heart. That's pretty cool. And two, when we have a relationship with him, what brings him delight brings us delight. And as the last part of that says, it's a beautiful way of living. We must teach our children in grace what it means to honor and love the Lord through how we live our lives in word, action, purity, and so on. Deuteronomy 6, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture, says this, uh, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So it starts with you in your own home, on your hearts, and press them on your children. I think whenever I read that, I think of like a stamp. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He's basically saying, hey, wherever you do, whatever you do, impress these upon your children. Let's put, I want to put a little skin to this, okay? A little practical application. There's some at the bottom of the page, so if you want to follow along there. But here's just a few things you can do. And again, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to pray like these, these deep, thouist, thus prayers and, and all that and all the old, you know, language. Just pray simple prayers, heartfelt to the Lord. Pray with your kids about the big things and the small things. Your kid hurts his toe, you might think, okay, oh, just suck it up. But you say, okay, let's pray about that. And watch what God does, like how God speaks in the smallest of things. Read the Bible with your children. Start with a verse or paragraph. I love this one. Don't be afraid to tell your kids that you don't know an answer to one of their questions in the Bible. It's a beautiful thing when your children say, well, Dad, what is about this? You're like, oh, that's deeply theological. Woo, that's a big one. And you say, you know what? I'm not 100% sure, but let's pray right now. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal it to us. And then let's search the scripture together. And they're like, oh, okay. It's teaching. You're teaching your children to search the scriptures for, for what God has for them. 
Number four, honor your wife when she's in the room and when she's away. Men, honor your wife when she's in the room and when she's away. Speak highly of her in front of your kids. Do you want your, your future son or your daughter, when they marry someone, to, to honor their future spouse? They're watching us. Honor one another in your house. Tell your kids about the big things and the small things that God has done in your life and is doing. I love testimonies, but a lot of times we stay in like, man, I got saved 20 years ago and God was awesome. And? And, and we're like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's cool. And that's great. I don't want to take away from what God did in your life. But what is he doing now? Trust me, he's up to something always. Something good, always. And how, how cool is it if you just came home and said, man, you know what, Keenan? I had a really good day and, and it was cool how the Lord opened this door for me to talk to a, to a coworker, my brother. Yeah, I mean, he really needs a lot of help. Number two. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the smallest of things, though. Like, you can come up, and they're like, oh, yeah, God can interact in the smallest of ways, even with a, even with a coworker. Like, you're opening their eyes to realize that God isn't contained in a building. Like, God is in us. He has a relationship with us wherever we go. I love these, um, uh, these verses. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I've been guilty of that a few times. But raise them up with loving discipline and counsel that brings the revelation of the Lord. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Dedicate your children to God and point them in the way that they should go, and the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. Did you catch that? And the values they've learned from you will be with them for life. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that they will respond with a yes to Jesus. I pray so. But your role is to teach them the values that will never leave them. I think of the prodigal son. You know that story, the prodigal son? He runs and he's eating pig slop, right? He's eating nastiness. And all of a sudden he remembers, you know what? My father's house, even the servants are eating good. Like he, he remembered some of those things that the father had just lavished on him. And he, and he came back to the father. And the father, of course, was already embracing him when he was a long distance off. And teach them those things. I've made the joke before. Um, and I've heard other men make the joke, I think. Maybe a few others. Maybe it's just me. Um, that our main goal as a dad is to make sure basically our kids stay alive till they graduate and hopefully not make too many mistakes, right? Like, yeah, I'm, just, I'm responsible till they're 18 and then they're out. Um, you know, and that can be a funny little harmless joke. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I get you. And then I realized, like, I've actually sometimes set the bar that low. Like, I've brought the standards of Christ down to my level instead of raising my children and my standards up to his. Fathers, let's not commit to settle for anything less than God's best for ourselves and for our children. I, uh, the last, last point, we have just a couple minutes. Oh, he's saying, get out of here. Let's get out of here. It's dinner time. Um, the last thing I, I want to share this morning is, is this. Um, my final challenge is this. Men, we are called to lead and remind our families of the blessings and the promises of the Lord. I love what 2 Peter says this. This is such beautiful, beautiful scripture. Everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already, has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name. Jesus has called you by name. And invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result of this, 
He has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of this world. I love that. And through the power of these tremendous promises, these promises hold tremendous power. Let's not withhold those from our children. Promises like this, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. Deuteronomy 31, 6, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Jeremiah 29, 11, God has great plans and a destiny for your life. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29, Jesus gives rest to those who are weary and burdened. Philippians 4, 19, God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus. John 14, 27, Jesus will give peace that the world cannot give. And share these promises. Again, let these be upon your lips and the way you live. There's tremendous power in these promises. Now, these are just but a few promises. And again, if, if you want a list so you can print it out and maybe read it over your kids, um, wherever you might be, Google promises of God. And you'll find a lot of scriptures and a lot of promises. These are just scratching the surface. We are called to speak the Father's identity of our children, to raise them up in the ways of Christ, and remind them of the Father's promises. And it starts in the home, and it starts with you men. I want to finish with these final two thoughts. Ben, you can begin to come up if you want. Um, women, you have a part in this. Ladies in the room, you got a part in this. Because your words, your attitudes, and actions towards fathers and men in your life are extremely important. And I don't take away or discount that some of you have experienced men in your life that have maybe been abusive in some way, whether it be emotional um, or physical um, or spiritual, whatever it might be. I I get that. I I don't discount that. Take that up with the, with the Lord and with others as you, as you, you know, uh, find freedom from that. But the way in which you speak of men and fathers around children, it speaks volumes. It's important. Extend grace to one another. Extend grace, just as your heavenly Father has extended grace to you. Be in prayer for fathers. Let your children see you encourage and speak highly of fathers. So women, you have a part in this. Maybe you can pray in your own heart. Okay, Lord, how can I, how can I extend that to the men or the father in my life or, or a husband who is a father or just men in general? You take that with the Holy Spirit this morning. And then fathers, I, I want to I say this. Remember there is grace for you as well. There really is. And I, as much as I could stand up here and say that I've, I've, I've done this thing right every single day, it's far from the truth. I've carried regret and I've carried shame about certain things that I've said in a harsh moment to my kids or done or they've seen me do. And I've, I've, I've lived with some of that shame in my heart. And that only gives fuel for the devil who loves throwing accusations anyway. And so I want to remind myself and I want to remind the men in this room. There's a scripture verse found in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians. It says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in Romans therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus I think some men in this room you need to speak that over yourself there's no condemnation that's of the enemy and what does he love to do distort and destroy relationships you speak the father's identity over yourself first so you can speak it and lead your children in it you know what I'm saying give yourself grace 
Man, it's time to step up. Man, it's time to lean in. Lean into the Holy Spirit. Man, it's time to trust Jesus in all things. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.